Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host for today, Ryan Treasure, and we're bringing you another great episode of things to think about and, you know, these topics that we, we we discuss here on Finding Your Frequency are all topics that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, they're, they're topics that have been requested by our listening audience. And, you know, we're going to keep continuing down uh, the, those uh, those roads and bringing you topics that matter. And today we're going to talk about uh, some subjects that are, are, are extremely touchy for some folks and not so much for others. But I think, you know, as we all live our lives and, you know, we're looking for the our significant other, we're looking for happiness, we're looking for for uh, marriage and children and love and, you know, kind of researching our entire lives, kind of looking for uh, the best ways that we can be our best selves and putting it out there to find uh, a partner to share in that experience. Uh, those can things can be extremely challenging in times. And uh, of course, we got to bring on a guest to talk about those challenges and also talk a little bit about her book. And so we're going to talk to Daphne DeMarniff today. She's the author of The Rough Patch Marriage and the Art of Living Together. She's also a psychologist and the author of Maternal Desire on Children, Love and the Inner Life. In her clinical practice, she offers psychotherapy to couples and individuals and teaches and lectures widely on marriage, couple therapy, adult development, and parenthood. Her research and scholarly work has been published in professional journals. She and her husband have three children, live in San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Daphne. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we appreciate you taking out uh, time. I know you're extremely busy. You have your own practice, uh, a lot of different things going on. And of course, a husband and three children, that in and of itself uh, takes a lot of time, effort and energy. I know that. But so thank you for joining Finding a Frequency today. And I just want to kind of kick off the conversation with uh, kind of an origin story, so to speak. Uh, and just, you know, Daphne, where where did you decide in your life to, to start working uh, with families and children and, and become a psychologist? Uh, just maybe... Take a few steps back into the beginning of, you know, your professional career and, and, and where did you find your frequency and follow this path? Sure. So um, I have always been interested, like a lot of us, in people and been a people watcher from a very, very young age. And uh, my, my, my family tells me I was always really actually fascinated by couples as well, you know, um, married people and what their relationships were like. So, you know, so often our interests are just kind of almost born into us and we don't really even know why. Um, I grew up with parents who were uh, very loving and also interested in, in talking to me and finding out my ideas. So I think I grew up with a feeling that, you know, what I had to offer was of value. Um, my parents divorced when I was eight and uh, I luckily had two siblings and we were all each other's little support network and talked a lot about our parents and what they were doing and how we were feeling. So we were just kind of a little therapy group of three for each other. 
And um, my parents subsequently both married people whom I think were much more compatible with them. And they both had long and happy marriages. And so I think that part of my motivation in helping couples is to say, you know, life, of course, is complicated. Emotions are very complicated. But there are better and worse ways to split up. There are better and worse ways to figure out whether you can sustain a relationship. And I feel like I've been kind of studying this my whole life. And I feel I actually have given a lot of thought to these issues. And I want to share what I've learned. Oh, that's awesome. So when did you when did you start your own practice? Uh, was it right after school or when did you when did you take that leap? Because I know that takes uh, some intestinal fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I graduated from college and I had three interests that I had pursued uh, in college. One was uh, writing and journalism. One was uh, psychology. I majored in psychology. And I also did a lot of acting. I was very involved in the theater. So when I left college, I kind of dabbled in all three. I did some freelance writing for a, a local magazine. I participated in a friend's theater group. And I um, read a lot of psychology and worked for um, uh, someone doing research. And when I thought about myself and my temperament and the fact that I really love ideas, I love writing, I love studying things deeply, I love studying people deeply, I'm not a person who's great with insecurity or unpredictability, which of course an acting life would include. <laughs> I know, I was um, just thinking like with your background um, and, and you know, you did a little bit of writing and then you majored in psychology and then you also did theater. And the first thing that popped into my head, and I'm a big theater dork, I did a lot of that when I was in high school and uh, in college and was a, a stagehand for uh, quite a number of years before I got into radio. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, a psychologist who has a skill in writing and in theater, I bet you she could probably write the best psychological thriller skip script you've ever heard. <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> uh, you know, my genre is much more, uh, you know, studying people and psychology deeply and then writing what I know from that. You know, I think sometimes um, investigative journalists or reporters or people who love to delve into a new topic become super uh, expert at it and write about that and then move on to another topic. And what I found is just my temperament and my interests are I keep delving deeper and deeper into psychology and every facet of it interests me. So I've written this book on motherhood. Now that I've written this book on couples, I'm really most fascinated and passionate about people's sort of deepest relationships and how they go well and how they go not so well. Yeah. And I, you know, being, being with, uh, my significant other for 20 years has definitely led us down roads of extreme challenge, extreme happiness. Uh, and it's definitely one of those things as you, you know, you work through, you know, marriage and like your book, marriage and the art of living together. I mean, it literally is an art and it's something that, you know, you, you, you work on every day. I have had this discussion before and it's kind of like, you know, from some people when they look from the in uh, from the outside in and they see a couple and they're happy and all of that a, a lot of times if if you haven't experienced the effort that goes along with that you look at it and it seems effortless from the outside but we all know that having a, a very happy marriage and family life and being able to have work uh, uh, work-life balance in conjunction with all of those things it really takes a ton of effort and a lot of practice or, you know, I coach, uh, I coach soccer for my daughter. Right. And I say, all right, you guys want to get better at dribbling the ball. You got to put in the reps. And I mean, it's the same way with your relationships, right? Yeah. And I think the way to think about it is that the work 
of marriage. You know, we, we often think of the drudgery of household tasks and everything, but I would say the work of marriage or intimate relationships is um, getting to know your own emotions, staying vulnerable, being able to talk about emotions, being able to try to be self-aware and responsible for when you mess up. You know, emotional relationships kind of go down the tubes when people can't take responsibility for their own human, you know, uh, failures and um, can't uh, really think about their own emotions. So the book, The Rough Patch, is really kind of almost a roadmap for helping people understand themselves so that they can show up in their relationships in a fuller uh, and more loving way. As you're looking uh, at different people and you know studying them, I mean, you're you're literally a a professional people watcher. I mean, that's that's everything about what you do. You're diagnosing, not not necessarily diagnosing, but you're, you're taking in all the different experiences that you're seeing people have, and you're you're looking at how different couples interact with each other, uh, and, and and you've done this to the extent that you have a mastery in writing books and and the knowledge resources on this is fantastic. What what are some things that you would tell maybe a newly married couple um, about things that they need to kind of establish from the get go and be on the lookout for throughout their relationship in order to foster um, you know a great inner inner circle and uh, an inner family uh, connection. Well, okay, so I think when people first fall in love, they're very afraid of conflict and differences. You know, some people, some subset of people fight like cats and dogs at first and then they calm down. But a lot of people want to feel that they're perfectly aligned on everything. And from from the perspective of having been married for 27 years and raised three kids and see couples every day in my practice, I would say that one of the most important skills is to understand that solving problems in life is going to involve differences, discomfort, the occasional fight, conflict and to be able to tolerate that you know you my partner are different from me you have a different point of view I can try to understand that I can be curious about it I don't have to feel it cancels out me or my feelings and to to sort of understand that a marriage or an intimate relationship is is kind of a third thing there's you there's me and then there's the relationship and we both give to it and we both get from it and what is it that we need to maybe come to an understanding about or agree about, you know, which will take work. I always think that people have this illusion that if they're compatible or happy, it's going to be still waters and clear sailing. And I kind of think the opposite is true. I think that, you know, if you're really tackling the problems of life, where should we live and how should we deal with our kids' problem and how are we going to pay the bills and all this, it's going to involve stress. It's going to involve anxiety and it's going to involve tension. So to be able to kind of work through that together and not try to just be the pretty picture from the outside, but but realize emotions are messy and inconvenient and sometimes it takes a while to get through to a better place. Yeah, and that's that that's really good, really good words. I. You, you mentioned that and I can't help but remember something my mom used to tell me when I was growing up and it was um, and it's pro- probably not going to remember it word for word but it was something similar to like if 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 you living your life being who you are by chance throughout your life you get to meet somebody who by the act of you doing you and them being them you guys can be you guys together then that's like what a perfect relationship is um, and I had always thought about that throughout 
you know, my adolescence and, you know, my, my twenties. And just thinking about that as my, my wife and I, you know, we're, have been together since uh, 1999 high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. And, and you think about that and, you know, it really is the truth. Like, you know, yeah. everybody, I think sometimes forgets that just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you sacrifice yourself. Um, right. You, you, right. you got to Yeah. It's, great advice your mother gave. Yeah. I, <laughs> because it, it's, 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 it's accepting and taking, um, seriously that there's a certain kind of fit that you need to look for you can't try to change yourself and pretzel yourself into someone that this or that person is going to love you have to be okay with yourself enough and I find a lot in the couples that I see if you grow up in difficult circumstances with difficult painful emotions or parents that didn't love you in the right ways you know you're not always that comfortable with yourself and then you look for somebody who's going to somehow make you feel better about yourself but sometimes that person isn't the one who can really love you the best and so sometimes I see couples where it's very painful because I feel like they're actually not the kind of fit that you're describing but they have kids they have a house they have a life and to dismantle that is extraordinarily painful and so part of my book is really also helping people think about the question of staying and leaving right. in a deep way, in a responsible way, and to really both take seriously and to heart their own emotional needs and their emotional life and not dismiss that, but also take to heart how you know important it is to have an intact family yeah. to them. You know, and all the issues that go along <laughs> and, with and don't, that. And don't get me wrong, Doc. I, my my relationship is by far from perfect. I mean, when I when I when I mentioned you know that statement that my mom used to tell me. Um, you know, my wife and I still have our challenges and there are times where um, I'm I'm like, you know, I'm not able to just go along being me. And there's some components where I heavily rely on my wife to, you know, provide emotional support or physical support. And, you know, sometimes it's not me walking my own road with her walking her own road. Sometimes it's us walking the road together. But I think that's what's so unique about our relationship and probably why our relationship works so well is we're able to intertwine all of that. Like we walk together on some things, on some things we walk separately. And and it is, it is um, uh, compromise is probably, you know, my son just got married two weeks ago and I wrote in his card, <laughs> compromise is your best friend. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and that's something I've learned over over my my years of marriage is, you know, yeah, my, my wife has things that I 100 percent do not agree with. There's some political stuff that my wife and I don't agree with, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that like we still can't be together. Like her political view on a given topic isn't so extreme against my political view that it leads me to not want to be around her right and so that's something where i found compromise in and i think a lot of times especially with young adults everybody wants to be right all the time uh you know they they lose sight of agreeing to disagree or coming up with a compromise and so what what do we do as as adults and as as couples to you know further foster an environment of communication and collaboration to be able to get to a point where you can um agree to disagree because i think that's all that's one of the hardest things for people to do Yeah, right. So I think the issue of compromise is a really fascinating and important one because people can't feel that they're compromising themselves in a relationship and feel healthy in it. But you have to compromise with the other person. So what's the difference there, right? I think the difference is that I'm imagining you and your wife, even if you have your different temperaments and personalities and political views, you really can think about the other person and care about who they are 
as themselves and you want them to be who they are as themselves. Now, there are ways that's going to rub up not so great against you, but you actually care about them, right? And so that is the key. I mean, in other words, you're taking their reality to heart at the same level you're taking your own reality to heart. It's not like a zero-sum game. It's not like if you get your way, I'm not getting my way. And I think the (laughs) mental state well, I call it the golden ring in, in my book, you know, that mental state of saying we have a relationship that we each take the other person's feelings to heart in the same way we take our own feelings to heart, sets up a context where you can agree to disagree or compromise on certain things, knowing that they would compromise for you on certain things. In other words, they're being, in a sense, your, your friend. I think in some relationships, though, people feel, okay, if I give you this, it's taking out of my hide and you owe me. And in those relationships, you often notice people cannot apologize and they can't take responsibility for when they screw up. And they're kind of saying, and, and then you're in the bind of, you know, you come into my office and one person saying, you know, I always have to apologize to make everything better, but my partner never apologizes. If you're in that kind of relationship where you're always apologizing and your partner's never apologizing or vice versa, that's kind of a recipe for failure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really big point. And, you know, I, I can't help but think about there's been so many times where I've had to apologize to my wife for me saying or doing something that was absolutely silly. Um, and, and there's been times where she's done the same way. And so that's good that we have that yin and yang type of effect. And it's definitely helpful. Um, you know, for our relationships, let me, let me, let me throw a curveball at you. Cause I know this, you probably get this kind of one all the time, right? I'm just going to use an example. So my wife has like a ton of shoes. Okay. Yeah. And she keeps them in the, in the walk-in closet. Right. And so every time I want to go in the walk-in closet, I got to step over shoes. Right. And I got to go and it, and it aggravates me. Right. And I'm like, honey, could you please just clean this up? Like, or, I don't know, donate the shoes, organize the shoes, right. Do something with these shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I get frustrated because, you know, we've been living together forever. It's always been like this since we've been together. She's always got some shoes in the closet, right? And, you know, for the longest time, I would always just be like, I can change her. I can, she will change. She will clean her shoes. And, you know, here we are, you know, umpteen years later. And there's still shoes in the closet that I have to step over. And there was a time where it was a, it was a point of contention in our relationship where I'm like, if you don't clean up these shoes, right? And, I, and I'm making mandates. And then finally it got to the point where I'm like, do I really want to really mess up my whole entire relationship over something as trivial as these shoes? And it, it did. It took me a while just to get over the fact that, you know, this is something that I have to accept that this is how my wife is. And I have two choices, either accept that it is this way and that there's no changing her unless she decides all of a sudden she wants to have these shoes organized or just choose your battles and move on. Right. Choose your battles and move on. But of course, you can imagine because I do this every day and I'm a psychologist. I, I think still mention the shoes every once in a while, though. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. If your wife were a person who thought, this is my closet, you don't get to have any space in it, or I don't care how you feel about my shoes, or the way I want it is the way it needs to be, all those attitudes would make you much less likely to accept this as, okay, you know, we all have our foibles, we all have our kind of, you know, behaviors that are kind of annoying to the other person, but it's it's really, my bread is buttered on the side of accepting this and moving on. So that's an, a, a healthy attitude if you feel like the other person is basically in that same 
position, right? So she's like, hey, can you clean up your fishing equipment? It's always in the way of, you know, getting our car out of the garage or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, you have your own things. And she she has a certain amount of tolerance and, and for that. But if yep. it's unequal, I actually think fairness is one of the most important things in a marriage. And when it's not fair, it's very toxic. And so part of it is like, okay, I'm putting up with this from him and I'm putting up with this from her. And, you know, it's pretty fair. Yeah, no, and that's 100% correct. And you know what's funny too is whenever we had talked about the shoes, there was never a point where like my wife never said to me, that's my closet. I'm going to do this the way I want it. It was never that way. It was always, uh, yeah, I know the shoes are a mess. I'll get around to it when I can. You are correct. It's always been that way, right? It's never been a, oh, it's my way or the highway. It's always a, yes, I know that I need to do something with the shoes, but then just, oh, that's just who I am and that's how my shoes are. So, and, and nothing gets done. And I just finally just said, whatever, it's not really that big a deal. I just don't use that closet anymore. Easy. Okay, but I just want to say <laughs> her position, her intention there is really important, which is she's not saying I'm right, you're wrong. She's going like, yeah, I know this is one of my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that really helps you be more gentle about it. Yeah, no, and and you're right, because I think over time, if somebody was to be like, yeah, I'll uh, don't worry about it, I'll clean it tomorrow. Right. And then you get to a point where someone's promising that they're going to do something about it over and over and over again is so much worse than just admitting that. Yeah, I know I need to clean it up. I'm have that's one of my things. I just I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, and I think that there's a and I think that probably boils down to like, you know, proper communication just between a couple. Right. Like, say what you mean. Don't beat around the bush. Like, let's just throw it all out on the table because ultimately it's going to end up there anyways. Right, but let's just be devil's advocate. Say she she said over and over, I'll do it tomorrow and never did, right? Okay, so clearly she's not following through. That's a bummer. But you might circle back and say like, hey, have you noticed you keep saying you'll do it and don't? And then what she did with that would be important. If she's like, what do you mean? You know, you're lying. That'd be one answer. The other is, you're right. I keep thinking I'm going to do it because I want to make you happy, but for some reason I don't, and I'm sorry, and maybe we can need to figure out a new solution. That's that's a better answer, right? <laughs> yeah, and then if she would have said that to me, I would be like, do you want to do it together tomorrow? Yeah, great. You know? That would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, found, I found that works very well. Like, you know, sometimes it's... You know, oh, hey, it's your turn to do the dishes or it's your turn to do the dishes. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter whose turn it is. The dishes have to be done. So I'm not going to argue with it. I'm just going to go do the dishes. Right. So let me say something (laughs) about that because it's actually a really important point also. As you can imagine, I put this stuff under the microscope all the time. (laughs) I bet. Often, there's too much to do in most families, right? We have too many roles. We have too many things on our to-do list. We never get them done. So the problem it's not that we have too much to do, that's just modern life. The problem is when we start interpreting the fact that our spouse hasn't done this or that thing as a direct attack on us or a dismissing of our feelings. And that happens so often in couples where someone will say like, you know, you still haven't done such and such and they act like it's a direct hit and a direct uh, inconsideration toward them. And people get very defensive then for understandable reasons because it might be just because they're overwhelmed and their list is 100 miles long. And it's not meant against you. It's just that I have too much to do. So with your wife's shoes, you know, maybe it's like, yeah, it just keeps being number 25 on my list. If you really (laughs) feel it needs to be number two, can we talk about it? Maybe do it together. Maybe make a deadline together. Can you help me? Right. So that's that's that attitude can be super helpful. 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. I I really love I really love your your insight and your knowledge, and you can just tell just based off of your your knowledge. Not only have you been studying this, like you live this every day in your own life too. You can totally tell about your passion. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I teach a class to couples who are having their first baby, and I say, you know, professionally and personally, I'm just completely passionate about this. I mean, I write about families and marriage and children. I see clients who are dealing with this. I've done it myself. Uh, it's what I live and breathe. And I, I just, I, I think it's, 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 it's really basic to everyone's happiness, you know, how their relationships are going. So that's where I focus my energy. So as you, you know, think about like the next five or 10 years of, of, of your life, Daphne, what, what does the future hold for you um, moving forward outside of some of this greatness you've already accomplished? <laughs> well, so my kids are between 21 and 26. So I feel like I've just headed into that kind of new phase of young adult children, which I find fascinating and exciting. And you're not an empty, you're not an empty nester yet, though, right? Uh, my 21-year-old's home for the summer. He's coming back right now from his summer job as we speak. Um, but they all live nearby, so that's, oh, that's great. great. And I yeah. get to see them and have dinner and talk, and I just feel like this is a fascinating and really rewarding phase of parenthood. Um, you know, I love my work. I just can't get enough of it. And as long as I have my energy and my health, I'm just going to keep doing it because I can't imagine anything I would like more. And, you know, I have different writing projects. I work, uh, I'm a contributing editor for Parents Magazine, which is the magazine you might have seen in your pediatrician's office all these years. <laughs> I write in a column about couples, so I do that. I give talks, you know, and I'm, I, I'm always dreaming up my next book, and I sort of have a vague idea where that's going. But right now, I'm just trying to kind of clean out my office, clean out the basement, <laughs> take right. a breath before I launch into another big project. That's, that's awesome that your kids, you know, kind of live close while they're going and doing their young adult thing and I, I bet you that's awesome that you get to see them more often do you do you think that now that they're you know young adults do you do you now think about oh wow now I can be my child's friend whether than like being this parental figure who's trying to guide them through life to make sure that they understand right and wrong and they you know understand the the tools that they need to be successful little humans um yeah. how, how is it now right that they're you know in their 20s is it like you get yeah, to be I friends it's a real balancing act I, you know i think we all have the illusion when our kids are little like oh they'll go off you know and that'll be the end of it right but i think this phase they really still so benefit from you being in the background, having life experience, you know, you're not overbearing and breathing down their neck and telling them to study or whatever. You're sort of, that job is done. But being a sounding board, being a consultant, being someone who can talk to them about, say, their romantic relationships or their job choices, or as somebody who cares about them who's further along and been through a lot, I think is... Um, as I said, a really rewarding role. I mean, it's still nerve wracking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. they'll always be your children um, and people always have challenges. But I think um, I really I really enjoy seeing who they're becoming and who, what they're dealing with and trying to help them if I can. Oh, that's awesome. All right. I would I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't ask you this question. Okay. As a father of a daughter, right, my biggest fear in life, which is probably the same as every parent who who has uh, one iota of uh, of want for their child to be, you know, successful in life. Right. My fear is like 
raising my daughter over time and like completely messing it up right and her just you know not getting things out of life because dad or mom didn't you know to teach her provide her the proper tools to be successful and literally that's the scariest thing like i go every day i'm like am i handling this situation correctly am i am i communicating this correctly am i am i doing this in a manner where my child is going to understand the 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 you know what i'm trying to teach the the point of this particular interaction uh, you know and i'm always like oh, i don't want to mess anything up um, what what would be you know from from your uh, psychologist background, but then also your background as a mom? Uh, mm-hmm. What would be your kind of thoughts or 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 uh, pointers that you would give uh, to somebody like me who just doesn't want to mess it up? Right. So I would say first of all that you can't be anyone other than who you are. So when you're looking back on what you messed up and what you got right. It's going to be mixed. It just is going to be mixed because none of us is perfect, right? So you you have to accept that you're just going to do the best job you can as you with all your different qualities, plus, minus, and neutral. But I also want to say that the trying to do it right, that is loving your child. None of us has perfect objectivity. None of us can predict the future and have as a crystal ball. It's all in the effort of trying to do the best you can, and they know that. They see it. That is love. The trying is the loving. That's what and you. So that's what we need from you, Doc. Is we need the IKEA instructions of how to be a good parent, so you don't mess your children <laughs> up. Like the, you know, the step one. <laughs> I don't think that well, exists. You know, step one is this: <laughs> that you have the attitude, the mental and emotional attitude, that you really want to do right by her. That is the most important thing because a lot of parents get checked out. They get, you know, busy having their cocktails. They say, I'm done. You're too annoying. You know, a lot of parents just (laughs) don't stay with it. And so the fact that you try to stay with it to try to think together with your partner about what is best for her, go back and forth together, try to deal with like all the different possibilities and talk about them, that, that they absorb that. They absorb that you're trying. And they feel that as love. Uh, well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Let the audience know where they can uh, check out information on you and then also find out more about your books and keep up with all the stuff you got going on. Yeah, so I have a website, which is my name, DaphneDemarneff.com, and I'm going to spell it because it's kind of a complicated name. Um, it's the easiest way to sort of get to my books directly and get to my articles directly and uh, just learn about my work. Um, obviously, the books are available, you know, around everywhere else books are sold. Um, but my website, DaphneDemarneff.com, is D-A-P-H-N-E-D-E-M-A-R-N-E double F as in Frank E DaphneDemarneff.com. You can Google me. There's a talk on Google. There's various things you can look up. Well, thank you so much, Daphne. We appreciate your time uh, joining us on Finding Your Frequency Talk Radio here on Voice America Variety Channel. And for all those of you that are listening, make sure you go check out the website, uh, DaphneDemarneff.com. And of course, the books that are available on there and all of the articles, go check all that stuff out. And please make sure to drop us a note on social media or info at VoiceAmerica.com. Let us know what type of topics and subject matter you like the most so we can continue bringing you guests and topics that you care 
care about. And if you're listening on your favorite podcatcher uh, application, please make sure to subscribe uh, to the podcast. And of course, give us a review. We always like those. Five stars are better than four. Please remember that. Uh, we love to hit the Google rankings and iTunes rankings as much as possible. And of course, you guys, we're going to be bringing you some more fantastic content from Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network.